0: Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Fat Haidt. This week we're talking about Season 3, Episode 3, Fair Game.
1: Yes, we are, and we're joined
2: by a special (laughs) guest this week, Alex Perry. Hello! Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to talk about Stargate for a change. (laughs) Yes, uh,
1: listeners may know Alex from every Star Trek podcast ever made. (laughs)
2: Let's just say I am... uh, uh Always the guest, never the host, but I like it just fine that way.
0: Every Star Trek podcast except ours. It's interesting that we got him on Stargate Weekly before Delta Flyer.
1: The way that works is, I know so many Star Trek people. And I know that Alex is also, in addition to being a- has an intersectional fandom and also really likes Stargate. So it was like, yes, uh Alex, we probably will totally invite you on Delta Flyer at some point, but- we were more in need of Stargate guests than Star Trek
2: guests. No, and I'm actually super excited to have the opportunity to talk about something different, and I just finished a complete rewatch of the franchise from Children of the Gods all the way through the last season of Episode 2, well, all the way through Origins, and uh, so it's all fresh in my memory, and I rewatched this episode twice for this conversation, and I am pumped to go through the gate and talk some Stargate.
1: All right, anytime someone mentions Origins, I gotta say... Uh, are you pro or 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 anti Origins?
2: I did not hate it as much as you guys hated it. Um, okay. I respected it as being like just a super low budget thing, and I actually the first time I watched it, which was only a couple of weeks ago, was as the feature length cut rather than the kind of choppy episodes, and I thought that worked mm-hmm. okay. Actually, I, I think it was better by being a complete. Product rather than having it be cut up, because I was thinking about like you know some of those episodes in the middle, you know nothing really happens for you know twenty thirty minutes and if as part of a yep. like one one and a half hour production, that's okay, but when that's the one ten minute block you get that week, it's like really this is the ten minutes i have and I don't find out you know what happens next for a, i don't you know see anything that actually happens for another week or two. Um, so I-, I thought it worked, it, it worked okay. I mean, I obviously would rather a proper television show, hashtag Stargate now. Um, but mm. you know, I'll take anything I can get. It's nice to see the franchise is still alive in some way, shape or form.
1: Speaking of the franchise and whether or not it is alive, uh, recently on an episode, we talked about how there was going to be a big announcement at GateCon. <laughs> Guess what? There was no announcement at KCon. I feel robbed. Yeah, and honestly, okay, technically speaking, they never actually told us there would be a bigot. Uh, there would be an important announcement. What they did tell us was make sure you catch the Stargate Command panel with Christopher Judge. Was
2: he even on the panel in the end? Yes, he was. He was. Yeah, I think that um, the guys over at gate world got told that something was going to happen and then for some reason it didn't and i don't know whether it has something to do with brad wright having said that they're now back in conversations about the future of the franchise i know i'm so excited to hear that which is super exciting because it feels like the most you would have gotten from an announcement at a fan convention would have been right let's set aside patrick stewart being announced at at Star Trek Las Vegas.
1: I was going to say that. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Alex, we literally were just at a fan convention last month.
2: Yeah, but it was a huge convention, and also yes. the rumors are that the announcement was supposed to have been at San Diego, and the deal yeah. wasn't signed. But for this That's one... That's what I heard as well. I, I feels like the most you were going to get was going to be a, as I think you guys said on, on the last episode, a Stargate... Origins, Tealc. Um, whereas, if there are conversations happening with Brad right now, that potentially indicates that something more significant is, is in extremely early development. Now, whether that goes anywhere or not, who knows? But sure. that's definitely more exciting than just another web series.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But why not both? Why not both? Oh, There's I'm all in favor of both.
0: So much money.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. Okay, that's fair. There is only so much money, and we. Especially.
0: Yeah. Especially when it comes to Stargate, which does have a smaller fan base as compared to other certain star franchises, which will go unnamed.
1: Uh, So, speaking of. I know
0: that you're thinking Star Trek, but I'm thinking Star Wars, for which Disney paid $4 billion. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, but speaking of star franchises that'll go unnamed, I should actually mention this now or forget about it. Uh, listeners who are who have intersectional fandom and are also fans of Star Trek, I'm going to be at the Northeast Trek Con in Albany at the end of the month. And if you're going to be there, too, yes, that I mean, Hey, I,
0: you know what? You know how many, like, towns I've driven past in Ohio that are, like, named after, like, any number of famous cities around the world? I'm sure there's an Albany, Ohio. I'll
1: give you that, but I feel like if you don't specify the state, then someone would assume you meant New York.
0: I mean, you're not wrong. Our listeners are bright, intelligent, good-looking people who understand what we mean.
1: And, you know, if you want to... If you want to talk to me about Star Trek, Stargate, really anything, uh, you can come find me at the Northeast Trek Con. Uh, I won't have Stargate Weekly pins because we don't have Stargate Weekly pins yet, but, Working I'll, on but I'll, have a Delta, I'll have Delta Flyer pins, so, you know, you're welcome to those.
2: As long as you guys have uh, Stargate Weekly pins in time for the uh, creation convention in Chicago next June, I think you'll be oh, all
1: right. Oh, absolutely.
0: We'll have a we'll have new art by then, and so with new art comes new pens and maybe shirts. Ah, very cool. We've got Delta Flyer shirts, so we at le- so at least yeah. Dad and I need StarGate shirts.
2: Yes, I'm an extra large. I'll just throw it out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice, just like Jack O'Neill.
2: Yeah, but he'll take a
1: double X if we have got it. <laughs> That's right.
0: So let's talk about this actual episode. Yes. It originally aired on July 9, 1999, and was directed by...
1: Martin Wood and written by Robert Cooper.
0: Oh, those old guys. Yes. Yeah. So our synopsis from TV Guide... The intense rivalry between the Goa'uld system leaders puts the future of Earth (laughs) in jeopardy.
1: Ah, those system leaders. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, like, they capitalized
0: the S in system... But then, like, couldn't, like, bring themselves to write system lords? Because I guess that would be, like, two in the weeds of Stargate lore? Hmm.
1: Well, the Stargate wiki is just after Samantha Carter receives her promotion to major. Colonel Jack O'Neill is beamed out of the middle of the ceremony and aboard a ship belonging to Thor of the Asgard. Thor tells him that he will host a negotiation between the Tauri and the system lords Cronus, Nerty, and you. However, one of them does not wish to negotiate. Me? <laughs> also uh interesting factoid uh most of the foreign language names for this episode are kind of boring but the germans went kind of cool uh it's yeah? the seeds of betrayal oh that's i so like good. that i know right
0: oh man we don't have the foreign names in a little while or maybe I just think that because we were on hiatus for a little
1: while. We were on hiatus, and then I forgot to do the foreign names the last two weeks. Uh, but I'll try to remember to continue the it on from from here on out.
0: Are you ready for another interesting factoid? Absolutely. Michael David Sims, who played the Secretary of Defense. Now, in later in a later episode of SG1, um the actual um,
1: the Air Force uh, Chief of Staff. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yes, the actual Air Force Chief of Staff will be on an episode of SG One.
1: Yeah, it's like the not one an actor with the X three hundred one.
0: Yeah, like not an actor. The actual guy. This is not the real SecDef. That's cruel. But
2: not a real fur coat That's cruel.
0: But Michael David Sims
1: who was, was, was on the dead zone, Secretary of Defense.
2: That's
0: a good question. Hey Siri.
2: Uh, what, 1998? 99? Um, yeah. It would have been whoever Clinton's last Secretary right, of Defense Right, but I don't was. know who it was. William Perry, I think?
1: Okay, I'll take your word for it. I was not yet paying a lot of attention to this sort of thing yet in the 90s.
0: Yeah, I only... Who was... Like... Hegel? I think Hegel was Obama's Secretary of Defense, like, towards the end?
2: Yeah, he was one-off.
0: Yeah, he had a couple, right? I can't remember his first name. Chuck. Though. That's it. Such a boring name for such an important position. (laughs) Like,
1: honestly, I think the only Clinton cabinet members that I could name off the top of my head are Janet Reno and uh, Madeline Albright.
2: Madeline Albright. Oh, Um, boy. Donna Shalala. Uh, Yeah, that's about it. (laughs)
1: Well, you weren't even in this country in the 90s, were you, Alex? No, I was
2: not. I was not. Right,
1: so, you have an excuse, too. Stuart and I were just, you know, kids who didn't care about politics.
2: Yeah. It was William S. Cohen. He was the Secretary of Defense in the late 90s. Ah, That's a name.
1: That's definitely a name. Yeah. Not a name I'm familiar with, but it's a name.
0: I believe that that is a real name that a real person has And that Axel- Alex did not just make it up off the top of his head
2: It sounds conv- I mean, that sounds like a good Secretary of Defense name Like whatever the name yeah. of the Secretary of Defense was in this episode Which I don't think he was named in the episode
0: He must have been
1: His character's name was Arthur Sims
2: I know that's what it says on the Stargate wiki But I don't know that it was it, And it may have been in the script But I don't know that it was actually on the in the episode itself
0: yeah, I don't think they ever say it.
2: Yeah, it's sort of like how we had a
1: name for the planet in uh into the fire, even though they never said it on on the screen.
0: Yeah. Oh well. So yeah, so that, you know, leads neatly into the beginning of the episode where we are in the gate room, which I mean, obviously having the Stargate as a backdrop for your big speech, and frankly, fake SecDef speech was not bad. No. Nah. Like that's a solid backdrop to have mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand it's not a big room and there's probably a few hundred people that work in the SGC and it feels weird that it's like well okay you 50 get to be a part of this ceremony the rest it- of you I don't know like go back to what you're doing
2: also I feel like uh, as a safety precaution you would probably want to close the iris Um, you know because a guy's given a speech and then all of a sudden an incoming wormhole and pff, no speech anymore
1: well, we talked about this last week. We're pretty sure the we kawoosh did.
2: would actually go through the iris.
0: Oh, yeah. And as we see a little bit later in the episode, apparently we get tons of lead time, enough for not Walter to be able to call out Chevron 7 locked, And we, inbound wormhole engaged.
1: Yeah, and we come back to the rant that I had two weeks ago, that the you shouldn't have any idea there's an incoming wormhole. It's not because there's no way all the chevrons are lighting up on every possible stargate you're dialing as you dial these symbols.
2: Yeah, it's very inconsistent because <laughs> when they're off-world on a gate with a DHD, it's not a long amount of time. the The chevrons light up and then... And then you get the kawoosh.
1: Except when it is.
2: Except when it is. Yeah, it does feel like it's very much a, <laughs> it's a it's a plot device, right? They they it's yeah. as long or as short as the story needs it to be. If it's just we're arriving at this planet and then we're walking off into the distance, it'll take five seconds. But if it's we need to build some drama and suspense, you know, it'll be a, uh, we'll count each chevron as it happens, and the tension will mount. Because yeah. there are definitely episodes where, and I can't think of any off of the top of my head, where they, they, they proactively close the iris before there's any incoming wormhole to prevent that kind of thing. I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering.
1: There are also a lot of episodes where they receive the IDC before the wormhole is actually uh, engaged, so, you know.
2: I know that definitely happens with Atlantis, where they put the shield up even though there's no wormhole, and the Atlantis yes, shield do. does contain the kawoosh, but I guess I don't... Now I'm thinking about it, that might be what I'm thinking about, and I'm not thinking about the Iris from SG-1. Yeah,
1: because I imagine the the Atlantis shield is... Like an iris, but, I mean... But
2: far more complex technology, right. theoretically. Well, it's obviously their version of an iris, but...
0: Yes, thank you.
2: <laughs> but it's not just a metal gate.
0: <laughs> right. Right, because, yeah, it, it's it's an energy field, it... You know, like, the kawoosh could even, like, pass through it after they ever show that, without, like, impacting, like, the shield's integrity. So... But uh, you're not wrong though, Alex. That there are plenty of times where, like, the iris is definitely closed once they detect an incoming traveler. Because then, once they get the IDC, sometimes before the wormhole is actually established, they then open the iris.
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah, so it must be closed when the kawoosh happens.
0: Yeah. So, so there. So, like, Sam really should have sat down with Siler to adjust like the iris closing mechanics. Such that basically like as soon as the Kawoosh goes, the iris like closes right behind it so there's never any space at all for something to, to materialize effectively. Because obviously like nothing can like jump through the Kawoosh.
2: Mm-hmm. Well and also given the amount of trouble it gave them, like they should have just gotten a DHD. I mean, it wouldn't have been that hard to have grabbed yeah. one off of a planet God,
0: for real. Walked it back through
2: they the stargate, even have
1: one on the planet, right?
2: And then just disconnected all of the rubbish around it and just run it off of the DHD because it just caused them so many problems.
1: I know. Yeah, I know. How many episodes would not we would not have had the problem that is the whole focus of the episode if they had just hooked up a freaking DHD?
2: Well, is it this season or next season? Is the one where where um? is the episode where they like end up blowing up a planet because they overrided some safety protocol I and the wormhole went through a star and i think it's and next they're season. just like yeah. whoopsie and then they're like well we fixed that problem and it's like yeah but if you just had a DHT it never would have a problem in the first place anyway it's a cool set i'm sure it cost millions of dollars to make and that's the ultimate reason why they never replaced it with a DHT but um but yeah
1: and that's why Showtime reused the set when they made the show Jeremiah. Did they really? Yes, Jeremiah. They actually operate out of Cheyenne Mountain. They even call like they don't even like try to like say it's something like rename else. Rename it to like Church Mountain,
2: <laughs> right? Are all the SGC stickers still up on the equipment lockers?
1: Probably. That'd be funny.
2: Right.
0: yeah. So this episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so yeah. So Sackdaff gives a speech. Carter gets promoted, which is cool. Yeah. About time. I guess. I don't know how long she was, uh, captain.
1: At least two years.
0: Yes. Uh, but as we have brought up before on this show, and we'll certainly bring up a few more times, people get promoted fast when they're, in, when they are in the SGC. Mm hmm. Um, which is, I mean, makes sense. They're front line. They're doing crazy things. They're, Saving the world even though they're the ones that endangered the world.
2: On multiple you
1: occasions. Yeah, they're fixing
0: their messes. Yeah.
1: The one that really the one that really gets me is Jack. I think he's a three star by the end of universe. He is. Yeah, it's just like what?
2: Yeah. He's a one How? star in season eight of SG one yes. Then And then like five years later he's a three yeah, star. Yeah, he's a two star by season uh, ten. And then he's a three star by universe,
0: and that makes like even less sense because like once you get past Colonel, my understanding—I'm obviously not like super like into this sort of th- stuff—is like once you get past like a Colonel level or what would be um Captain in the Navy, it's a l- it, it there's a lot of politics involved because I think that, like getting promoted to General like does require. Um, like, a lot of politicking, and there's a lot more oversight involved, like, from the Pentagon. Um, and, like, going from, like, one star to two, two to three requires even more of that, and Jack has shown time and again that he just has, like, no interest at all in playing that sort of game, and so it's weird that he would get promoted. To three yeah, I almost
2: wonder, though, if... And I guess we're making this the... This is the Stargate Universe Weekly episode for Air Part 1, but um, I guess... <laughs> I, I, one thing I think about that is it's not like there are a ton of other generals out there that... um or admirals that have any real experience with this particular job. Um, Landry? So if, well, Landry, Hammond, and O'Neill. Um, so it feels like there probably would have been a push to get experienced people with off-world travel into those senior leadership positions. And since Jack was at the forefront of that, he would be the one who would be pushed much quicker than everybody else. Um, Yeah.
1: And and at this point by universe, uh, Hammond was, Hammond was out of the picture because, uh, I know we're not I'm not because in- in continuum they actually make make mention of the fact that he had passed yeah
2: and the ship that uh s- uh Carter is commanding in universe is, is the, yeah is the hammond yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: well there's also consideration that like certain commands to my understanding again I could be totally wrong, and someone can can correct me and send us an email at uh stargateweekly at gmail.com,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um that like you need to be a certain rank to be able to hold that position. And I suppose that, uh, like you were saying, Alex, that if you're the most qualified person for the position and it requires you to be a one-star, two-star, three-star, whatever, well, then I guess we need to promote you and then give you the position. Mm -hmm.
2: And the other thing, too, is by universe, it seems pretty clear that they 're not in the Air Force anymore because all they, they don 't refer to the Air Force they only refer to homeworld command, um, which right. makes me think that by that point they 've probably even though the Stargate program is not public, they have created effectively a fourth branch of the military because um, the hashtag uniforms space are force. different yeah hashtag space force right because the uniforms are different it'd
0: be the um, it'd be the sixth branch. sixth
2: branch yeah um, but the uniforms are different. There's no reference to the Air Force anymore. Everything's just kind of generically based out of the Pentagon. Right. In that case, you probably would put more of a premium on officers who had specific experience with the Stargate program. And since that's a small number of officers, you'd probably find them pushed up the ranks just really, really quickly.
0: Yeah. So I actually have two thoughts on that. One it's either the fifth or sixth branch. It depends on whether you would consider the Marines their own branch, uh-huh. even though they are a department of the Navy. Um, but secondarily, calling it command um, actually implies certain things in the military, to my understanding. like So you guys mentioned Space Force. <laughs> calling it Space Force versus, say, Space Command has different connotations and different organizational structures. Um, mm. so there's, like, there's STRATCOM, uh, Strategic Command. And, so that's, like, uh, largely Air Force thing, but still sort of a joint operation, whereas if there was, like, a STRAT force, that would be a whole separate branch. Ah, so calling okay. it Homeworld Command instead of Homeworld Force or something, or Stargate Force or whatever you was want to call it, um, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but would leave open the idea that it's largely an air force spearheaded thing but is like a still a joint operation and they share resources and they share like certain levels of bureaucracy with the other branches of the military um also a command apparently that gives you certain abilities of cuz there's um there's cybercom cyber command and so that allows you to, like, dip into the other branches and cut through a lot of red tape very quickly that, if it was a cyber force, like, they wouldn't have that ability because they would have to, like, be, like, in their own sort of, like, sequestered area and have to make formal requests. They'd go through, like, various chains of command and and requisition to do things. And I'm probably completely talking out of my butt. And again, Stargate Weekly at gmail.com if you want to tell me how incredibly wrong I am. But that's just my understanding, based on listening to other people talk about Space Force versus Space Command.
2: Space Force!
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. So I don't even know if we're going to talk about this episode. Goodness sakes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love... Okay, I will talk about this episode. I love this episode. I love... Um, I, I, my My favorite episodes are the ones that involve the, like, larger politics of the galaxy and this is the first episode where you really start to dramatically thread together lots of the different pieces of the lore that had existed it's the first time you get an Asgard and a Gua'uld in the same room with each other um, and and it's just, it, it's one of those episodes that kind of teases out, yes there's like, we've done a lot of cool stuff but look how much cooler it can be when we start to mix everything mm-hmm. together. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's a bottle episode. You know, It all takes place in the SGC, um, except, except for one the one on the scene on ship. the Asgard ship. Ah, um, uh, yeah, you're right, too. And, and other than that, I, I, I love any time you get system lords together because they all do this really great job of overacting, and um, I love it. Uh, no one chooses scenery like a ghoul Exactly, no one yeah. chooses scenery like them um, And so
0: Took the words right out of my mouth, yeah, thank you Yeah, having
2: <laughs> three of them in the same room together Is amazing uh, You is great And I'm glad he becomes a recurring character um, As is Nia T Oh man, I, I love Yu Oh, you. he's great mm-hmm. um, I love you too, man
1: <laughs> No, no,
0: no, 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 The other, no, the, no I meant the other thing.
2: No, this is probably one of my favorite Episodes of season 3
1: it, it is pretty good. Uh,
2: it's the start of the
1: beautiful uh, O'Neill-Thor friendship uh, <laughs> that will continue on throughout the series.
0: Yeah, we, we get, like, the... like This episode, like, lay, lays the initial sort of building blocks of, like, this weird, like, love relationship that the Asgard have with the SGC, SG-1 in particular, O'Neill in particular... Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see in a few seasons, like the new Asgard flagship, the O'Neil. Yeah. You know, the, the idea that he was named to be like the chief negotiator for his planet, it's like oh boy.
1: <laughs> oh for crying out loud.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: We also get Jack says oh for crying out loud. It's always great when Jack says oh for crying out loud.
0: <laughs> yes. I did appreciate that someone did finally bring up, hey, you know, there are other sovereign nations on this planet that maybe we should talk yes. to about these planet-wide decisions we're making. <laughs> like, yeah. it, be, and, But they didn't even bring it up until there was the idea that the negotiations were going to fall apart and the Gould were going to attack Like the idea that the U.S. was not going to mention to like even like the UN Security Council members or Great like let's include like simply our closest allies. They wouldn't even mention it to like Great Britain, Great Britain, Canada, Australia. That hey, so we signed a treaty because there are aliens and the aliens hate us, but we signed a treaty it means they won't attack us unless they do
2: so here's the interesting thing about the treaty which uh is is um one thing that the episode never addresses uh it's unclear what the guauld got in return for signing the treaty they got access
1: to that pass the
2: the nylon pass is that what it was the
0: Asgard will allow Gaul access to the passage of Nylor. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they got access to that, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, something I found interesting about the Asgard involvement in all this was, I mean, Jack called it out specifically, which was, you guys are super duper powerful. You have all this technology. How could you let the Ghoul get like so crazy powerful in the galaxy? And, yeah, you know, Thor offers, offers his explanation, which, Makes a certain degree of sense. I, I mean, the Asgard were never, from what we see in the shows, they were never big on expansion or conquering. Yeah. Um, they're certainly not conquering, like maybe expansion, but there's still, like, there's a limit to how big you can grow. If, like, if you're only interested in, like, taking over unpopulated planets that have the resources you care about. But they also, but Thor had also brought up there's like a much larger threat in their home gal in their home territory yes. that they're not going to talk about
1: replicators. mm Hmm. Yep, that was definitely a tease for Nemesis.
0: Yeah. But then you get the other interesting thing of when they're talking about the treaty itself, and they're bringing up that. One of the articles of the treaty is that no human civilization is allowed to advance to a point where they threaten the Gould, which answers a question, a sort of, like, never-actually-asked question in the earlier season, which is, why do we have all these cultures that are stuck in, like, the Middle Ages? Yes. Or earlier?
1: So, yeah, I have a bit of an issue with that, too. Cause, and I understand they said that the Gould get to decide what constitutes a threat. But clearly the Gould have already determined that they constitute a threat which is why they're sending an invasion force. So right. how's this work?
2: The other interesting thing too is um, is a question that's, never, that's also never addressed is, so there are what 26, 27 planets as part of the Protected Planets Treaty. Um, why those planets and not others? Um, you know, it's just sort of Taken as read that the Asgard have decided that certain planets are off limits from from Goa'uld interference, but why those specific planets and not other ones? That that's something that's just sort of... They just sort of talk about it as if it's a fact, but they don't really explain why there was an impetus by the Asgard to specifically protect one population versus a completely different population. Because it feels like, you know, when they, in the first, Thor's Hammer, the first episode that featured Mm -hmm. the Asgard, they Mm -hmm. show up and the explanation is, well, we are followers of the Asgard, therefore we are protected. But it feels like that's something that comes after the protection, right? It's we are, we... Follow the Asgard because we are protected, um, but no real explanation for why yeah. the Asgard would want to protect that particular planet.
1: Well, it's it's actually Thor's chariot where the Asgard show up, right? But yes, but that's a good point
0: that I had not considered. I mean, this is all you know, pure speculation. Perhaps it's the Asgard just sort of like cruising around the galaxy. Like happened across like a group of people that had been put there by the Gould because I think it's pretty well established in the lore at this point that every group of humans on every planet in the galaxy came from Earth on some level. Like humans come from Earth. And so, you know, a few hundred or thousand were siphoned off of Earth, put on some other planet, and then that group was allowed to grow so they could be like cold for hosts and Jaffa by the Gould. Um, we actually get a lot of, like, really interesting information about that in this episode, which I hope we touch on. So, it's possible the came across very, like, 27 or how many planets it was that were abandoned by the ghoul that had left them there at, like, at the time that they had arrived, and it's like, this is a group of, like, random humans on this planet without any reason, and there's a Stargate here, so let's, like, watch over these people. And then once they kind of, like, realized how big and bad the Gould were getting in mass, that they're like, okay, okay, these 27 peoples are under our protection because you guys have left them alone, so you're going to keep leaving them
2: alone. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting idea, that, like, these are the ones that we know we can save.
0: Uh, Yeah, basically, it's like, these are the ones that have been out of your control for long enough that they no longer think you're gods. Like, maybe that's it? We never get, like, we, we see whatever that planet is called, of Thor's people. I don't think we ever really really come across any of the other protected planets.
1: We don't. I was just thinking it's interesting that we never do.
0: It does make me think of uh, Doctor Who and the Shadow Proclamation. Uh
1: (laughs) There probably is. uh, Now I'm looking up to be sure, but I I imagine there's probably a book
2: or two that talk about it. That's what I was just thinking. I was thinking, you know what? This would be perfect fodder for a novel.
0: I don't believe in reading.
2: I have still, as we have said before, I have still never read a Stargate novel,
0: right that's what I'm saying. I don't believe in reading.
2: I just bought the the set of novels the the um what are they called the I've got one right here the the Atlantis Legacy series that are supposed to be set after the series finale um that I'm interested to read mm-hmm. so i'll I'll report back as to whether they're any good or not.
1: I've heard mixed
2: things about that. Yeah, I, I have. I have read the
1: comics, the recent comic series that
2: continues Atlantis. Oh, that's pretty good. I've read that too, and it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's
1: all right. Uh, and and I also have re- uh, have read the the universe ones as well, and they're
2: all right. I enjoyed that one quite a lot, actually. I thought that was a it was a clever resolution to the season two cliffhanger.
0: Oh boy, now I'm curious. I haven't I okay have not
2: read
1: them. So this comes. Yes, we do see another protected planet. Uh, and oh. it comes back all around because it's in Red Sky.
2: Oh. oh. An episode we've already <laughs> talked about.
1: So which right. season
2: was Red Sky in? Four? Five, Five, actually. Okay. And
1: yeah, that one's the one where the Asgard are like really mad at them, but they can't actually help.
2: Yes, yes. That's right. And they're like, you did this, you fix it. Yeah. Which is a very Asgard philosophy. I mean, in some ways, this episode is the one that goes against the grain of how the Asgard have previously been established. And I think sort of their Red Sky philosophy is you can draw a pretty clear line from that kind of reaction to that sort of situation to they let the Guaul take over the whole galaxy, you know? Um, right. Because it's much more hands-off. Uh,
0: yeah. Like, the, the, like, I, I think that nothing kind of exemplifies the Asgard's policy of we wish we could do more, but we don't, mm. as the line in the treaty... The treaty recognizes that the human species exists for the purpose of serving the Goaum
1: as hosts and slaves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. There's another protected planet also, actually. Uh, Galar is the name of the planet. It's from the Season 9 episode Collateral Damage, which uh, could also be just called Ex Post Facto, the Stargate version.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well, in a few years we watch that one, we'll have to try to remember that comparison.
1: (laughs) So yeah, there are a couple other... There are, we do encounter a couple others. And interestingly enough, there don't appear to be any novels, which surprises me. But I guess there aren't as many Stargate novels as there are Star Trek novels. Because I guarantee, in st- if this were Star Trek, there'd be at least a couple, probably series of novels about them. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, gents, I think we, uh, I think we have the start of a pitch to Fandemonium. So, uh, let's work on, let's workshop this idea. We'll, we'll figure it out and <laughs> we'll get our names in print.
1: All right.
0: Yeah, there you go. I like it. So
2: yeah, so anyway, let's
1: keep talking about this episode.
0: I mean, can we? (laughs) So, still in the first two
2: minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Jack, Jack steps up steps up to the podium to say you know to say. As all of you know, a man of few words, and then promptly gets beamed out, and well, that was a few words.
1: Well, I, I like how, because when he gets beamed up he says, and in conclusion, so that was going to be the joke. He was just going to say, and in conclusion. Yeah, yeah.
2: It was a great joke, and the Asgard did step all over it. Yeah.
0: They did. <sighs> Asgard's have no sense of humor, though.
2: This is true. This is the
1: first time uh, that Thor is voiced by Michael Shanks, as he will be for the rest of the show.
0: I don't recognize it at all.
2: No. Not in this episode. I do in others. Um, I don't know what the okay. difference was between this one and the later appearances, but he definitely sounds much, much less Michael Shanksy in this episode than he does <laughs> in his later appearances.
0: Okay. Speaking of voice acting, though, Ron Halder, who played Kronos, who has a sweet costume, by the way. Yeah. Like, Kronos's costume is top notch would have been a voice actor on that cartoon Stargate show that they were thinking about making, but then actually did not That's a shame they because never because it never it it. happened. Yeah. Right. That could have been cool if they had actually made it. They
1: definitely didn't make two seasons of a terrible cartoon. That didn't happen.
0: No, no, they definitely did not. <laughs> he also apparently appeared on um uh Smallville and uh shoot, I just blanked on the he was a member of, he had appeared on like 3 of like the longest running sci-fi shows on TV. Nice. Like X-Files may have been the third one. Like Star SG1, X-Files and and Smallville. Okay. Like ro- longest run longest running in the sense of like as opposed to like Star Trek where every 7 years it's a new show. Whereas SG1 ran for 10, so to Smallville. I don't know how many years. Uh X-Files ran for I think 7. X-Files
2: or ran? ran for 9 in its first run and then and okay. done- Two more okay, yeah, seasons yeah, yeah. since then.
0: Mm. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, we won't count them any seasons.
2: Uh,
1: most people don't want to.
0: Right. So, you know, like nine, ten, and ten. Like, that's pretty long running compared to most other shows, which go for six or seven.
1: Yeah. So, while we're talking about actors, uh, Vince Crestello, I assume that's how you pronounce his name. I could be completely wrong, uh, who played you, uh, mostly is a stunt actor. Uh, you is. Huh. One of his only non-stunt hmm.
2: roles. He is a little stiff, but it works for the character.
0: It works as a
1: ghoul. It yes. does.
0: Yeah, 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 especially in light of his appearances later. Yes. Like the stiffness. uh gets yeah, explained yes. away.
1: Yes. I think it's 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 neat when they point out that you is the only ghoul who did not take the role of a god. That was kind of mm-hmm. neat.
0: Well, emperor of China back in the day.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely I
0: mean kind of practically god. Sure.
1: But it's still it's an interesting thing that instead of being a god, he was an actual historical figure.
0: Yeah. So anyway, so Jack's on the Asgard ship. Yes, yeah, he is. <laughs> and Thor is telling him that oh hey, by the way, you guys are making a big splash in the galaxy and the Gould want to kill you. Like even more than they did yesterday. They want to kill you really bad today.
1: Mm-hmm
0: but we are happy we we are willing to uh, offer you some assistance. And Jack kind of perks up at that. Like we will negotiate on your behalf. He's like, "Oh. But what about ships? Those would be cool too." No, no. No no ships for for the not Tower. Not this time. Really, which is a policy not really ever. They never get Asgard ships specifically. They just get upgrades.
2: Until the last episode where they get the whole database, which presumably includes how to build the ships.
0: Yes. Well, I was going to skip past that for, you know, because, you know, future knowledge.
1: Oh,
2: yeah, what if someone is listening to this who has
1: never watched Stargate? Well, then I've just ruined it for them. Right,
0: then, you know. Yeah. Yeah, then they say I know that it's like, you need to, like, watch and listen for the next seven seasons to find out about the cool stuff the Talri get, and then keep watching and listening into Atlantis when we really get to see the cool stuff.
1: I guess you can take out their engines. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they finish the conversation. Uh, Jack gets beamed back down to Earth and he's talking with General Hammond and the team about what Thor just gave him. Uh, right around the time that General Hammond asks, can we even trust this Asgard? Thor appears.
1: I was kinda hoping, and I, I, I I honestly forgot that this was how they had done it. I was kind of hoping we would actually see them like standing around like at high alert because Jack just disappeared, and then like while they're talking about it, Jack just reappears. I thought that would yeah, that'd be cool. pretty good, but they didn't do that. Yeah, but I guess they had a lot of time. They didn't have a lot of time since a lot happened in this episode. A lot does kind of happen in this episode. Uh,
0: this is also when we find out that Jack has been named by the Asgard to be the chief negotiator. Well, sole negotiator. Uh, for the entirety of the human race, uh-huh. that the three ghoul system lord representatives will be arriving in four days, and we transition to Jackson giving us a briefing on who are the three Ghoul. We find out that it's Kronos, who's, you know, standard to ghoul, but teal chimes in to say that he's one of the like most respected-slash-feared system lords. Uh You, who, as you had already pointed out, did not take the role of a god, but rather a Chinese emperor, and Daniel points out that he actually did bring some, like, some positive things to the thing. And then, Nirti, who everyone hates because she killed Cassandra's planet. Conveniently, Dr. Fraser is in this briefing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Uh, but perhaps only there so that Sam and she can share a look when they're talking about Cassandra's planet.
2: And we get a Ritu reference. Yes, I noticed we do. the Ritu Two reference.
1: Of them. Yeah, it still doesn't count as the Ritu plot coming back though
0: no no it really really <laughs> doesn't especially cause like we never get any sort of supposition between Hathor and the Ritu episode whatever that was called uh, where they're like you know Hathor had the ability to disappear maybe it's Ritu technology like no one ever like touches on that until this episode so it's more like who have we encountered who can also disappear the Ritu
1: yeah so, but it's nice that they at least touch on it a little bit, but I'm st- I'm still annoyed at that episode whose name escapes me now. Uh, yeah. Uh the the penultimate episode of season 2, which sets it up like we're going to have this awesome reju plot that never happens.
0: It's not the penultimate.
1: Is it like it's the pen penultimate? Yeah, that's right. The penultimate show is, and tell. Yeah, cuz the penultimate is 1969. Yes. So, we get the Ritu name
0: drop, and the, uh, the Gould arrive. Yeah. Do either of you think that Kronos sort of looks like Vigo the Carpathian?
1: Yes. Yes. I have definitely thought that.
2: He's Vigo!
0: Okay. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> definitely looks like a slightly younger Vigo the Carpathian.
1: Yeah, with the hair um, and the outfit and the, Yeah, no, he, he, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, definitely- yeah. I mean, he's also not quite as angry- as Vigo the Carpathian. Yeah. Like, Cronus is pretty angry, but not, not Vigo-level angry. Uh,
0: well, actually, no, I, I, can, I skipped over something. Uh, a couple of important things. One was Teal'c saying that he will not attend to the needs of... He will not attend to the petty needs of the Guauld, and Daniel volunteering to attend to the petty <laughs> needs yes, of the
1: Yes, I have that written down as well.
2: <laughs> I will, however, not see to the petty needs of these Guauld. I'll See to the
0: petty knees of the gold, sir. And then them having to deal with the Asgard requirement of no weapons being allowed inside the facility. Yes. So they start clearing out their um, captured uh, ghouled yeah devices. And we have
1: Chekhov's ghouled healing device.
0: I have that written down, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so actually backing up a bit... I do have a note that I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, when there, when Jack's on Thor's ship and he's like, Hey, we have telescopes. Thor's like, You've never detected us before. My thought on that is, when was the last time an Asgard ship had been in orbit of Earth? Cause if it was like more than 50 years ago, then.
0: Oh, heck, even more than like 20 years ago. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- that's a good question. Um, my thinking on that was did Thor just drop the knowledge that they've been, like, observing the humans? But we already got that information the first time they sucked the ancient database out of, yeah. uh, yeah, Jack's brain.
1: You're well on your way to becoming the fifth race.
0: How do you know so much about our brain?
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah. So now, the gold arrive, Daniel is showing Kronos to the VIP accommodations, which, uh, reminded me of how much Americans love their acronyms. Yes. But not nearly as much as the Soviets did. The Guinness Book of World Records' longest official acronym is: This is gonna take a, This is gonna take a couple of seconds. N I I O M. T-P-L-A-B-O-P-A-R-M-B-E-T-Z-H-E-L-B-E-T-R-A-B-S-B-O-M-O-N-I-M-O-N-K-O-N-O-T-D-T-E-K-H-S-T-R-O-M-O-N-T. That seems
2: like it would be tough to remember.
1: I bet the Welsh can pronounce it. <laughs> I'm not sure even they could do
2: this one. Nice.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it means... The Laboratory for Shuttering, Reinforcement, Concrete, and Ferro-Concrete Operations for Composite, Monolithic, and Monolithic Constructions of the Department of the Technology of Building Assembly Operations of the Scientific Research Institute of the Organization for Building, Mechanization, and Technical Aid of the Academy of Building and Architecture of the USSR. I
2: mean, I guess the acronym is still shorter. Like, slightly.
0: Yes. Well, since the actual name is a paragraph.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My god, that was one sentence. <laughs>
0: even, at the, even at 56 characters, the acronym is shorter. It's 56 in Cyrillic, apparently. Mm. I have not had a chance to reference that acronym in, like, 10 years. Yeah, I was going to say, so... like,
1: I've known you for a long time. I've heard most of your stories. That one was one I had never heard before.
0: I'll, I'll give you the full story after the show. There's no point to keep derailing yes. for more things for me to cut out of the edit. <laughs> right,
1: sure. <laughs> so
0: after Jackson shows Kronos' VIP accommodations, there's a commotion in the hallway because Nearty has discovered their poorly hidden uh, surveillance devices. Yep. And this has made me wonder, was Nearty planning uh, the attack on Kronos, like, from the get-go?
1: Probably. Yeah, I think so. At the very least, it was a contingency plan from the get-go. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I kind of wish, the, as further sort of groundwork for that attack, though, if she had been given, like, even a little bit of pushback on the cameras in the hallway. Mmm. Or maybe she was just counting on the fact that, like, she probably knew of Teal'c and Kronos' bad blood and history, and was just counting on him to... Like square off with him like mano a mano at some point
2: i think it felt it felt to me like she went into it fully intending to use it as an opportunity to try and off him and blame it on the tauri
0: oh yeah definitely uh, an interesting thing that occurred to me though about the like teal and Kronos bad blood we find out that teal's father was Cronus's first prime and Cronus was like, yo, Teal'c's dad, we never get a name, uh, go attack this impossible-to-attack ghoul. I'm counting on you. You're my first prime. And then Teal'c's dad fails because it was impossible, and Cronus kills him. So Teal'c's like, I'm gonna become the best Jaffa that ever was, so I can join the ranks of Apophis, who hates hates Cronus.
2: Sounds like the, uh, perfect plot line for, uh, Stargate Origins Tilk. That's what I'm saying. right?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. But what I'm wondering is like everything we have seen up until this point is that each of the like larger, more powerful ghoul because we haven't really seen them yet, but we definitely do learn later that they're sort of like lesser like wimpy ghoul who are largely like like fief lords. That's the wrong word. What's the word I'm looking for? That Help me.
1: You would call them like their their vassals, I guess.
0: Yeah, thank you. They're yeah, they're like vassals to like the system lords. Or maybe even like lesser ghouls who are vassals in turn to the system lords. Anyway, like the stuff we see with like Tealk though, like leads leads us to believe that you know Apophis controls this certain area, and the people inside his area are his people, and the Jaffa in his area are his Jaffa.
1: This answers a question that we ha- that we had assumed, but we weren't sure. Chulak is not the homeworld for all Jaffa; just Apophis's Jaffa. Yes.
0: Yes. But it also opens up this possibility, because, like, Chulak is Teal'c's homeworld. Uh-huh. Like, this weird thing where somehow his dad was another Gould's first prime, and that's, like, a big deal, being the first prime. It just...
2: I'm very It confused. does seem like there's um there's a missing yeah. piece of information about how, uh, how Teal'c went from... Theoretically, being of Clan Kronos to being of Clan Apophis.
0: Yeah, that's that's that, that's that's basically what I'm coming back mm-hmm. to. Is like there's this like weird like sort of like clan tribal feeling to the Jafar and the Gould. and the idea that Teal'c's dad served one, he se- served another.
2: Yeah, because it's definitely you know like the Chulak community, they're all Apophis Jafar, and then. You mm-hmm. know, and you also see that later on with things like the hack teal, um, There is very much this, like, if you are the Jafar of a particular Goa'uld, you have that community and you're different from the community of Jafar who serve a different Goa'uld. And I guess this is, and and there's no, aside from this, there's no real evidence of commingling between those different clans but this would seem to indicate otherwise yes at least in this one case right i mean it's not necessarily that that's something that's typical it could be that that teal's transition from one to another is a one-off it could also be that you would assume if if one system lord conquers if if anubis conquered chulak that that Jafar on Chulak mm-hmm. would then be Anubis' Jafar and not Apophysis anymore. That you probably have a lot of that kind yeah. of thing happening, too.
0: hmm Interesting you mentioned Anubis. I thought there was a little bit of foreshadowing about... Not Anubis specifically, but um, Thor had brought up that their bluff of we're super powerful, we'll keep you in check if you don't keep yourselves in check, um, Only works if one system lord does not become, like, far and away the most, the most powerful and, like, brings them all under, like, their control. Which is definitely sort of like a, like, a wink and a nod towards the future conflict with Anubis. And a little bit bald.
2: Yeah, Anubis definitely calls that bluff.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, Anubis
2: cheats, though. Yes, he does.
1: Yeah, Anubis. Probably knows from his Asgard from his ascended knowledge that he was somehow allowed to keep, uh, that uh, the uh Asgard are busy with the replicators,
0: right? And also the idea that uh, thinking about like the U.S. and especially like in light of this episode, like they're thinking that it's like, well, we have the Stargate, we're not going to tell anyone else about it. The idea that like you know the U.S. is super duper powerful military. Like, that's known and and established and accepted. But it's not like if everyone else in the world decided, oh, no, like, screw that. Let's all attack the U.S. It's not like the U.S. could, like, fight them off or anything. Right. Like, there was a previous Pentagon doctrine, I don't know if it still applies, Um of having, like, force readiness for two Gulf War size conflicts and a smaller one Hmm. at the same time. But even with that, like that's still not like taking on the whole world. Right. So the Asgard probably from like kind of pitching it from that perspective is like, we can deal with one system lord getting out of line, maybe two. But if all of them actually banded together to attack us, our bluff is called we're actually screwed. So all we have to go off of is just like throwing our weight around as best we can without ever letting on that we're actually busy with our own problems.
2: And relying on the fact that ultimately their their own natures make them fight each other more than decide that banding together is best for all of them.
0: Right, exactly, yeah. The the Gould are, if nothing else, incredibly untrustworthy and devious creatures.
2: In, and in many ways their own worst enemies.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, as the Tokra show, even though the Tokra numbers like dwindle by the minute. Because like an actual proper, like true symbiotic pairing of symbiote and uh and human is beneficial to both. Yes it is. So we actually launch into the negotiations with the uh with the system lords, which promptly fall apart because Jack apparently spoke out of turn. Mm. Yeah. That will happen. Yeah. Uh this is around the time that we find out that Teal's dad was the first time of a Kronos and our conversation about that. We also find out that uh Sam is pretty sure that Kronos ordered the assassination of Jolinar. And I'm just starting to wonder who doesn't have like a like underlying hatred of Kronos. I mean Jack just hates all Gould. Jack's son does as well on some level. They took his wife, but uh-huh. not Kronos specifically. Um, I guess Hammond. Hammond probably doesn't have like a direct hatred of Kronos, just like, more fodder for the later plot point. At the uh, just after the the Gould walk out, though, we get some incredibly badly aged CGI of Thor getting out of his chair.
1: Yeah. Oh man, I have that note marked down too because the Thor puppet looks great, but that CGI looks so bad especially because it's like suit so, it almost looks like it's stop motion but it's not because if it were stop motion it would look a lot better
0: uh yeah but like even the stop motion of the puppet thor getting out of his chair and walking six feet around the table would have taken them like weeks
1: right but given that why was his why were his movements so stiff
0: computers were really slow back then
2: it is very rudimentary just saying and it's almost yeah. like in later episodes they realize that that did not work very well because they rely much more on the puppet and i think the next time it shows oh, yeah. up he uh, thor shows up in the sgc in one of those later episodes with um with kinsey uh he's just in that big chair and that's it
0: yeah, we yeah. really only ever see I, I don't think we see Asgard moving around a lot. Um maybe until Atlantis again. Yeah,
1: we get it in Atlantis, uh when
0: First contact. Yeah. I don't think we really see them moving around a ton, like certainly not like up close and in detail. We might get like background images of them from time to time, but that's that's fine. Um I don't think we get them like up close and in detail walking around again. In the entirety of SG-1. Yeah. I could be wrong, though, and we'll find out. And maybe we'll remember to mention that I'm wrong. Maybe I'll edit out that I'm wrong. Ooh.
1: You can do that.
0: I have the power. So we get back in the meeting room. This is when we find out that the treaty says that humans are only there to be hosts and slaves. Uh Jack's not really crazy about that line. A little bit. And yeah. we find out what the Gould conditions are. For the hu- for the Talri to be accepted into the protected planets, which is that they need to give up their stargate both of them how do they know the Tauri have two?
1: I was wondering about that too And i like I like the way they said it because the' cause you can tell they were thinking, "Oh well, we'll just give them the stargate. that's no big deal, and then both of them oh well
2: damn. well it is pretty common in it becomes pretty well established later on in the show that there are guauld operatives on earth um and it's possible that they have a spy on the planet um who has gathered this information that we just don't see um you know at this point it's theoretically possible that they have already infiltrated the nid at you know sort of its most basic level um Far before it becomes the trust and, and gets, you know, entirely taken over by just a ton of symbiotes. Um, so I guess that's one right. possible explanation.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, like the NID is a definite possibility. They have run, they were running those off the books, off world missions uh-huh. for a while. Um, you know, there's the secondary thing that if like some member of SG nine gets taken over by a ghoul while on an away mission, keeps it on the low for three months and then takes a medical leave of absence and now they 're just gone they're in the wind, so that's totally possible like it doesn 't have to be one of our heroes
1: that's fair like it'd be right.
0: yeah, so no, like, I had not considered the idea of cold operators on earth at this point in the story because we hadn't that concept had not been revealed to us yet mm-hmm. i don't think the i think the First instance of that is gonna be, um... Prometheus Rising? Yeah. Is that the name of the episode? With, uh, you know, with John Delancey?
1: I think it's just Prometheus. Uh, is Prometheus Rising even an episode?
0: Okay, well, I think just Prometheus, though. Isn't that the one in Season 8 with Vala?
1: That's Prometheus Unchained.
0: Okay, then yeah, yes, I think it's just Prometheus in Season... Six...
1: I believe six, yes. Cause,
0: yeah, I, I get, I get them backwards because, like, it's the first episode where Themesius launches. So that, to my, you know, to my mind, like, Unchained launched. Come on.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the, our first, um, big example in SG1 of Gould operatives on Earth. But obviously, it, you know, A, it's probably not the first. Uh, I think there may have been an earlier one. And B, just because the first one we see it doesn't mean it's the first one that exists
2: right because my guess is if you're the system lords and you discover that the tauri are now out in in the galaxy kind of you know screwing around with things probably the first thing you'd want to do would be to send someone to the planet to figure out you know what's the level of technology what are we dealing with what's the threat level um and then kind of communicate that back to the system lords so that they can then make a decision about what to do, which apparently is, uh let's go destroy the planet up until the Asgard come and say, hey, let's make a deal.
0: Uh Yeah, and, I mean, who can blame them? You know, the, the, the Stargate is located in the United States, so any Gould operative would come out in the United States, where, I don't know, like, Every fifth person has a gun. Yeah, right. Which, which, like, as we've seen in their encounters with the Gould, are highly effective against the Jaffa, at least. Yeah. So they're probably like, oh my god, they're all super well armed.
2: Time to blow this place up.
0: Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So next, uh, Jack beams back up to Thor's ship to get some of Thor's advice on what he oh, should do. Oh, and this do. is
2: where he does the, like, nod if we have another option, and then yeah. he kind of nods, and he's like, wait, was that a nod? And then he beams me back down. That was funny. I like that bit.
1: Wait, I- right there. Is that a head nod? That was, yeah, that was a good line.
0: Yeah, that was pretty good. So he, got, so he does beam back down. Uh, this is, I think, when the attack happens. And Carter tells them, let me show you the videotape of the incident. How quaint.
2: Bring
0: out that VHS. Mm, yeah. yeah. Kronos and Teal'c are found bloody and injured on in the um, in Cronos's room. They both get rushed to uh, medical. Uh, Teal'c is gonna be okay. Kronos is like, too injured to be okay. They say let's get the other gold involved here because we do have this hand device. Check out hand device. Um. Near T tries to use it. He's like, ah, it's not working. We could heal them if we had a
1: sarcophagus. I mean, well, you know how I feel about the fact about sarcophagus or sarcophagi. Well, no, it's not a Latin word, so it, it would be sarcophaguses.
0: Yeah, I was waiting for you to get there, and then and then I don't know. Things happen. My notes get a little hazy after this point. <laughs> I thought I was running out of time. I was wrong. <laughs>
1: You take much more detailed notes than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a vague memory of what happened there. You know, they they keep talking about stuff. Uh, Teal comes... The things degrade. The gold are going to leave. Earth is going to get destroyed. Teal comes to and tells them that he didn't attack Kronos. An invisible force attacked them both.
0: Right. It's somewhere around here also that the Secretary of Defense uh, calls out, we need to tell the UN about this problem, if we're all going to get blown up. Yeah. They they seat the ghoul back down in the conference room, you know, the ones who are not bedridden, and now is, and they tell them, like, no, no, you're not leaving, and they break the no-weapon rule, and a bunch of arm guards Well, and come they, in.
2: They, mm-hmm. they they suppose that they figure out that Neity has some kind of phase-shifting technology, and they just they bluff an acute, and say, we know you have it, and Thereby well, that happens a that
1: little later, that- but yes,
0: yeah, that did okay. happen a little bit later. Um, because first, uh, Jack goes on his long-winded tirade about how terrible the Gould are, ending with overdressed style mongers. Certainly
2: not those lion scheming, no good for nothing, slimy overdressed sure.
1: style mongers. And I, I actually really like the, the part where they talk about, oh, you've broken all the rules, and Jack's like, no, there's one rule we haven't broken yet, and then... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's another nice
2: moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hold on. It's, it's, like, basically all, like, nice Jack moments in this episode. Yes. It's definitely the Jack show on this episode. Mm -hmm. Now is when Sam heals Kronos, and Jack says not to get all Freudian on you, but... Uh, So Sam heals Kronos, Uh, he wakes up, and he's like, hey, good job, you healed me. Uh this is an interesting throwback to our episode of uh Delta Flyer last week. Uh another instance of you have your enemy under your control you decide to show mercy rather than um like take them out or kill them. Yes. You haven't watched Cold Fire yet have you? No. <laughs> Give me a more convincing
1: yes. Also, it'll be Delta Flyer next week because we're a week we have a week in reserve for Oh
0: just going to delete all that. Uh,
1: I didn't no, I thought. You mentioned it on cold fire. I thought you were going to be talking about. um... Tattoo? No. <laughs> oh, persistence of vision, where they thought they had the. Oh, guy God, no, it. we're so far behind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Timey-wimey. <laughs> so, now is when they march them back into the conference room, Alex.
2: There's a lot of conference room scenes in this episode. One or two. Yeah, no, you're not wrong.
0: I think it's about like 20% conference room by, uh, by time, by timestamp. They accuse Neerti of having fiddled with Ritu phase technology, bluff that the toker gave the information. You falls right for it. Because the Gould are inherently untrusting. Mm. You, like, has Neerti in his hands and she, like, phases and she, like, goes invisible and somehow that works, I'm really confused. Like, he was holding on to her.
1: Well, she's out of phase. Is she also, like, physically out of phase?
0: We had this discussion in show and tell, because, like, if they can fire weapons that interact with the real world, and they can, like, push buttons and stuff, like, how out of phase are they?
1: As much or as little as they want to be.
0: Like, she, hold, she held a gun and fired it at people, like... like, And the gun was out of phase, but the muzzle flash wasn't. Maybe
2: the transition from when you turn it on creates some kind of disturbance around them, which was enough to, like, throw him off, and that was how she got away.
1: Hmm. I like it. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: I can dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, near escapes for, I don't know, like, ten seconds. They were waiting for this. They catch her in the hallway... Sam threatens to blow her up. Sam really wants to blow her up.
2: Yeah, what's that line? It's something um, like, um uh have you ever seen one of these work? Because I'm really dying to show you.
0: Yeah. They go back into the conference room. They say, hey, you know, Cronus is on board with this revised treaty amendment, an amended amendment, if you will, that says everything you said before, but we get to keep our star gates. <laughs> <laughs> and you is like, yeah, sure. Okay, I mean, you know, you exposed a traitor, you saved my life, it's all good.
1: Yeah, except he says it all in a solemn nod, but yes.
0: Oh, well, you know, as you would do. Nice. Thank you. Uh, And, you know, the gold leave, and that's that. that's pretty much it. I mean, other things might have happened, but I wouldn't really pay attention.
2: No, that's pretty much it. They leave, and then you get one last shot of the Asgard ship pulling away from Earth, and then the credits roll. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it.
1: So did
0: either of you have any any, uh, final thoughts?
2: Just to say that I really liked this episode. I thought it was great. Um, All that, like, politicking and uh, just the... I love any of the kind of wider narrative episodes, and this one firmly falls into that category. It's it's a treat... There's some good machinations. Yes, there's great machinations.
1: So, I want to mention this because I forgot last week. During our hiatus, we had a comment from a listener on Facebook... She was commenting on our episode on Solitudes from back in season one, where we had talked about how we were trying to read Walter's name tag, but couldn't. She says, she brings some information, uh, based on what she's, what she's describing, it sounds like she got this from Gary Jones, maybe at a con or something like that, but originally the character was, uh, his last name was Davis, and his first name was Norman. This is before Major Davis kind okay. the thing. Uh, okay. Okay. And but then he turned in, he morphed into Norman Harriman because of the way Hammond pronounced "airman." <laughs> okay. And then Jack randomly called him Walter once, and it stuck.
2: Yeah, and I think his like technical full name on the Stargate wiki is uh, Walter Norman Davis Harriman. Yes.
0: <laughs> That's. I love that. I love every part of that. Yeah. I want to give my own call out, uh, to. Uh, A guy in my D&D group who I had kind of casually mentioned that I had a Stargate podcast to, I don't know, like six or seven months ago. And he told me uh, this past week, as we record this, that he had actually gone through our entire catalog and he's back caught up to the current episode. And he did it all in two weeks.
1: That's dedication right there. You know that's like way
0: more dedication than I think I would have for like any podcast uh and I, you know listeners get on his level that's all well I'm we've saying. given him
2: a meal <laughs> with this episode it'll take him a little while to catch up for this one
1: <laughs>
2: yeah
0: yeah this is, this is gonna be a good long one i like it
1: yeah uh it, it is it is a bit of a long episode, but you know I think we had a lot of fun. It was a meaty episode to talk about, so that helped
0: yeah, and you know if uh If we are remembered for nothing else, it will be our nice tangential episodes, especially with guests. That will be our legacy, which is, incidentally, next week's episode. Good segue. Yes, it
1: is. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you may want to check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer.
0: You can find a review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, StargateWeekly, at gmail.com.
1: You can find me on Twitter, at Tyrannicus.
0: You can find me on Twitter, at Gamicus.
1: And I am at Alexander T. Perry. And you can follow the show on Twitter, at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah.